I guess the $64,000 question that we all probably are thinking, besides what we're going to break our fast on, is why are we here? I mean, we've heard the speakers that I've been here for because we're running all over time, so just the last two speakers who are unbelievable, speaking about the Holocaust and about the Churb Mesa Mikdash, but I think that the question still begs that we who are here in the United States of America, we who are here in Queens, New York, are we really, really lacking anything that we should be sitting here in Avelos mourning over a destroyed holy building in Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago? What are we lacking exactly? What is it that's missing in our lives? We have yeshivot. We have girls yeshivot. We have kailulim. We have as many pizza stores as we could ever dream of. We have shawarma. I'm sorry, I, I know this is not nice to do on a tainus. <laughs> but we have so much. My son tells me he needs more money. He's in a sleepaway camp in the mountains. I have to send more money. I say, why? He says, because they have sushi in the canteen. When I was growing up, in a, you know, there, I was lucky if there were like Potato chips in the canteen. Today they have sushi. What are we lacking, really? What are we, we have Mexican food, we have Thai food, we have whatever we want. We have sleepaway camps, and we have bungalow colonies, we have whatever a human being could ever fathom. So I understand how Tishabov could have been really felt deeply in Auschwitz and in Treblinka, and going back throughout history in Spain and in, during Tachvetat and in the darker periods of Klai Yisrael's history, but how exactly do we understand the Avelis in America circa 2013? How are we supposed to be able to really get into it? Rav Schwab Rav Shimon Schwab, who was the rabbi in Washington Heights, and before that he was the rabbi in, in, in Baltimore, he was born in Germany, he was one of the leading spokesmen of Torah Jewry in America. I actually went to visit his, his uh, matzeva today, his kever, where I was visiting my father, who was nifter this year, in Clifton, New Jersey, and... Schwab was an amazing, towering figure in Jewish history with such clarity in his ashkafa and his way of looking at Emuna. And Schwab gives a mashal, and I'm going to alter the mashal just to make it a little bit more understandable for us. And he was using this mushal to explain the answer to this question that we posed. And he says, let's think for a second. If we were invited to a wedding in a very fancy hall, let's call it Leonard's. 
We're invited to a beautiful chasana, and the people that were making the simcha, they pulled out all the stops. And the smorgasbord was replete with every single type of food imaginable. And so, you're invited to the wedding, and the music is beautiful, and the tablecloths are beautiful, and the food is delicious, and everything is amazing, and you're stacking up your plates with all the things that were being offered, and all of a sudden there's some sort of excitement in the hall, but you're busy with your food, so you're not really so able to focus on, you know, what's going on. And then the band stops, and somebody taps you on the shoulder and says to you, buddy, did you hear what happened? Says, no, what what happened? Says, the kala didn't show up. Says, what do you mean the kala didn't show up? Says, we don't know, but she's not here. Everybody's here. Hundreds of people are here. The chatan is here. The kala didn't show up. She decided she didn't want to get married. So what would you do if you were that person with all the plates of food? You would probably, hopefully, put down the food on a table, drop to the floor and start crying. Is there any other reaction that a person could have in such a, in such a situation? And Rishwab said that that's exactly what we are going through here in America. It's true. There is a very big party going on in our country. There is nothing that we're missing. We have all the food, and we have all the yeshivot, we have a lot of taira, we have a lot of parties, we have a lot of simchot, we have chatunot, we have bar mitzvot, we have everything. Everything that we could ever want. But there's one day a year that we put down our plates and we sit down on the ground and we cry because we realize that the kala is not at the party. It's a chasana without the kala. Because if the shechina is not here, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses not to return to us, that means, as the Gemara uses a terminology, Iker chaser menasefer. The main thing is missing. It's not just that there is a small detail that's missing at the wedding. A wedding without a kawa ain't no wedding. And so if we want to understand how to actualize Tishabov in this land of plenty, in this golden gullus that we're in, I don't think there's a better way to wrap our brain around this than Rav Schwab's muscle. I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into this analogy because we all know from Shir Hashirim and many other sources that the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Klai Yisrael is like the relationship of a man and a woman. The Rambam says that if you want to know how to love Hashem, I don't know how many people realize there's a mitzvah in the Torah to love Hashem. In fact, we say it every day in Kriya Shema, there's a mitzvah say. There's a positive commandment to love Hashem. 
So the Rambam says, how do you love Hashem? So he says, very easy. You go and look how the world, in the world at large, how does a man love a woman? And the Rambam continues and he says that if a man is in love with a woman, he's hoige batamid, he's obsessed with her. When he's eating, he's thinking about her. When he's sleeping, he's thinking about her. When he is walking, he's thinking about her. When he's sitting down, he's thinking about her. He's completely consumed with the love of this woman. And the Rambam says more than that is the love that should exist between HaKadosh Baruch and Klai Yisrael. We should love Hashem to the degree that we're always thinking about Him. When we're eating, when we're, when we're sitting, when we're sleeping, when we're walking, when we're talking, whatever we do, we should be obsessed and consumed by the love of Hashem. And you know, Rav Gifter adds a tremendous insight to this Rambam. And he says that we think that you know, the Rambam is using a muscle of a man and a woman's love in order to somehow explain how we're supposed to feel about Hashem. But the truth is, it's the exact opposite. He says, if you want to understand why there exists a love in this world between a man and a woman, it's only that we should have some comprehension of how to love Hashem. What that means to say is that the love that exists in this world, that Shakespeare has written about, and all of the great poets and musicians have perfected the art of describing love, it's all a love that should be able to give us an ability to understand the love that should exist between HaKadosh Baruch and us. Now, if that's true, I'd like to suggest three concrete things that perhaps we could do this Tishabov to hopefully ensure that this is our last Tishabov in Gaulus. Three things that we could take with us to put in our pockets and leave this Tishabov with something real. The first thing is that if we are reflecting in our relationships the now distant relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Kala that's not here, how do we bring the Kala back to the Hasana? The way we bring her back is by us bringing ourselves and our spouses back together in a more meaningful relationship. It stands to reason that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking down on us and seeing whether or not we are able to relate to him as the cosmic kala. And the way that he looks at us is, how do we relate to our spouses? How do we relate to our wives and how do our wives relate to us? There's a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim that speaks to this. The Pasuk says, Vatiznach, not in Shir Hashirim, in Echa. There was a lack of shalom bias after the Chorban, which makes a lot of sense because if HaKadosh Baruch Hu distanced himself from us, then that means that the, there was a distancing between husbands and wives. And if we could work from this Tisha B'Av on strengthening the shalom bias, 
in our own homes. I think that that might go a long way to bringing back the kawa. Now, I wrote a, a safer for Art Scroll. It's a coffee table book. I don't mind shamelessly plugging my, my books on Tishabov. Have to do some business. It's called Great Jewish Speeches. And I have an editor who's a very good friend of mine who looks through, when I put out a book, he, he goes through it with a fine-tooth comb. So we actually are friends before he starts looking at it. By the end of this experience, we're already not friends. We have to make up because he completely rips apart a lot of the material that I wrote. But he says, he says, you wrote one thing, but you left out the main part of the story. I said, okay, what was it? He says, well, you wrote about a hespid. One of the sections of the great Jewish speeches are the great eulogies that were delivered. And one of the most famous hespidim that were given was by Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Everybody knows Rabbi Shlomo Zaman was the Pesach Adar, the Tzadik Adar, the Gadol Adar. And Rabbi Shlomo Zaman was married to his wife for over 50 years. And by her husband, when she died, Rabbi Shlomo Zaman got up and he said the following comment. You have to listen to this. He says, I know that the minig of Jewish people is that when you are departing from somebody who departed, you ask mechila from the nifter. You ask forgiveness from the person that died should you have wronged them in any way. He says, I'm going to break from tradition. I am not going to ask my wife for mechila. You know why? Because I have nothing to ask forgiveness for. We lived over 50 years with Shalom Bayes. We never argued. We never had any disagreements. And so there's nothing for me to ask mechila for. That was the speech that I put in the book as is. And I, that was like the last Hesped, and that was, I believe, the last speech of this entire book. And he says, you cannot put the speech in like that because you're missing a very important addendum to this story. And he referred me to, to another Sefer, and in the Sefer it says like this, Rib Shlem a few months after this Hesped that rocked the world, the entire world was talking about this husband. Everybody felt guilty. I'm never going to be a Shlomo Zalman. You know, how many times did I have disagreements with my wife and, you know, I'll never be able to give such a husband. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman had a Talmud. And this Talmud got married. And then this Talmud moved out of town and about a half a year later he comes back to visit his Rebbe, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman. And Rabbi Shlomo Zalman asks him, no, how's the chassan doing? And he says, Baruch Hashem, the Rosh Hashiva should know you'll be very proud of me because we have not had a single disagreement, a single argument in the last six months. So Rabbi Shalom looks at him shocked and he says, I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't hear that your wife died. He says, my wife didn't die says, oh, I'm sorry to hear that you got divorced. He says, no, I didn't get divorced. Baruch Hashem, I just told you we're very happily married. He says, that's not possible. 
that you're married for six months and you didn't have any disagreements? Not Shaykh. So he says, B'mechilas k'fayed Rosh Hashiva, but the whole world knows that you said by your husband after, by your wife's husband after 50 years, you didn't have a single disagreement. So why can't I have six months without a disagreement? To which Rav Shlomo Zalman answered and he said, the world misunderstood what I had meant. They think that I meant that we had absolutely no disagreements, no bickering, no arguing. He says, that could not be further from the truth. A man and a woman who live within one house, it's impossible for them not to have disagreements. There's a famous joke that's told about a certain person who says to another person, he says, my wife and I, we take separate vacations and we sleep in separate rooms and we eat at separate times. He says, I'm trying whatever I can to keep this marriage together. He says, if you're living in the same house, it's not possible. It's not possible for two people not to disagree. That's not what I meant. We had many disagreements. But you know, when we disagreed, we were civil about it. Everybody disagrees. I'm a man, she's a woman, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, we're different. But you have to understand that when you're having a fight, keep it nice. Don't play dirty. Don't hit below the belt. Be civil. Be menschlich. You can have a disagreement, but try to be respectful and try to get along even when you're having a disagreement. And I think if we could learn this as one of the lessons of Tisha B'Av, that would be a tremendous antidote to the Chorban. And that would be a way of bringing back the Kala. Another concrete measure that I think we have to take in order to bring the Kala back, and you'll forgive me for talking about this, I don't think I've ever spoken about it, Barabbim, before this Tisha B'Av. You know, when I was growing up as a child, I don't think I knew what it meant to, to, for a, a person to have an alternate lifestyle. I knew a marriage of a man and a woman. I knew nothing else. In this generation, it's become so part of the culture and so accepted and to the point that within the last month or so, the United States Supreme Court has declared that the law of the land is that it's fine, you're a fully-fledged couple, even if you're not a man and a woman. Now, besides for being a tayeva, the Torah calls it an abomination, it should be something that we shudder from when we think about this. But unfortunately, because we're so absorbed in this culture, in this culture that there are characters in movies and on television shows that are this way, there are talk show hosts that are this way, there are politicians that are this way, it's normal. If a person wants to understand the real problem with this, besides for the fact that the terrorist says it's an abomination, the real problem is, is that it's a it's undermining the cosmic relationship between the Rabbi Nishlam and Klai Yisrael, who are Bibachinas Ishvi Isha. 
If HaKadosh Baruch and Klai Yisrael are a man and a woman in the Mashal of Shir Hashirim, it has to stay that way. And anything else is undermining the very basics of Emunah. And we don't go out and make big machais, make protests about this in the street, but to ourselves we have to make a protest. And we have to understand that it's wrong and it's disgusting and it's abominable. And if we do that within ourselves, within our communities, then we will bring the kawa back, no doubt. And the final thing that I think we could take away from this Tishabov, practical, is that to bring the kawa back, the real kawa of the Rabbi Shalom, to bring him back, we have to bring other kawas to their chasanim. We have to make sure to engage in shidduchim. Everybody in this room could be a shadchan if they wanted. There are many, many hundreds and thousands of single boys and girls who are desperate to get married. And rightfully so, they should be married. There are so many people that we know as a community, individuals that you might not see as you know, people that you're thinking of as a shidduch candidate because you don't think of yourself as a shatchan. But if you would begin to think of yourself as a shatchan and you say, well, you know, I work with a single girl and I know in shul a nice single boy and you just go for broke and you go over and approach them and see if they're interested in going out, whether it'll work or not, that's God's department. But it's incumbent upon us as a community to work very hard at bringing chasanim and kalas together. You don't need an official doctorate in shidduchim. You don't need a license. It's something you could do without a license. You just have to go and put your thinking caps on and think about single boys and single girls and try to help them because there are so many out there that need your help. When we come up to Shemayim, after 120 years, one of the questions that will be asked of us is, Asakta Bepiria Berivya, did you engage in, in, in helping people have children? And the Marsha explains that means, did you help people find Shidduchim? And the next question the Gemara says is, Tzipisa Yeshua, did you await the final redemption? Because these two things go together. Only if you're helping boys and girls find Shidduchim, making a chasna yourself, bringing the kala to the chasna, will you be able to bring the cosmic kala, the Rabbi Shalom, back to the chasna of Klai Yisrael. There was a, a famous Holocaust survivor. His name is Rav Yasef Friedensen. He was the editor of Das Yiddish Shvartz who a previous speaker had mentioned. And he was, he wrote a lot about, about his experiences during the war, and he gave chizuk to many thousands of desperate people after the war. And he used to go in the, the decades following the Holocaust, it's hard to imagine, but he would have a friend who lived in Germany, who would have a beautiful house in the German farmlands, and he would go there to vacation two weeks out of every year in the summer, and his friend would 
sponsor this trip for him. He's a wealthy individual who still lived in Germany. And what happened was that he went to the airport to come back to New York at the end of this two-week stay with his wife in Germany. They came to the airport and they showed their tickets and the lady, this German woman at the desk, at the Lufthansa desk in Frankfurt says, I'm sorry, but we don't have two tickets, two seats that are next to one another. We have to give you separate seats on the airplane. And he says, no. Says, my wife, we're older people, we want to sit together, can't go through this flight separated. So she says, well, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about it. Maybe when you come to the gate, where you're actually boarding, then the ticket agent there will be able to find something, but I can't do anything for you. So he did that. And he came to the woman by the front gate right before the boarding, and he says, we have two tickets. They say there are no seats that are joining in the plane. We need to be joined together. I'm not going to separate from my wife. So she looks at her computer. She says, I'm sorry, sir, but we can't accommodate your request. You'll have to sit separate. There are no two seats together on this flight. Rabbi Friedensen, who, by the way, was Nifter half a year ago, he rolls up his sleeve and he shows this ticket agent his number that was tattooed from the concentration camps. And he says to her, you separated me and my wife once before and you will not separate us again. This woman got scared and she goes to her supervisor. A few minutes later, she comes back and she hands him two first-class tickets adjoining. Rabbi Yehuda Levi, one of the great shining poets of the Spanish golden era, writes in a famous poetry poem that he wrote for, we sing it by the Brismilas. It's called Yemli Abasha. The Lushen is, Vishuv Shainis Lakatsha Vialtaisev Lagarsha, come back again, Okawa. Be Makadish us again and don't separate us. Don't distance yourself from us anymore. If we're able to strengthen ourselves in these three departments, in being able to have shalom bias ourselves, in being able to understand and appreciate the holiness of the Jewish marriage and not anything else but that, and finally to engage ourselves proactively in looking to help singles find shidduchim, in Mirza Hashem, our tefillah, that HaKadosh Baruch should come back again. We've been separated from you for so long. We don't want the separation anymore. Put us back together. Adjoin the seats once again between the Chassan and the Kala. B'Yerushalayim HaBenuya. B'Mheira B'Yameinu. Amen.